This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, this is Doro. Just a quick reminder before we get to our guest today that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is on Saturday, October 3rd. Due to the pandemic, this year, the conference will be held virtually, and all are welcome to join. You'll be inspired by luminaries in health and wellness and take home real strategies to improve your happiness and wellness. You can get all the information you need at AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com. And now for the show. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Patrick Dempsey is an actor, race car driver, and is probably best known for his role as neurosurgeon Dr. Derek Shepard in Grey's Anatomy, affectionately known as McDreamy. He has starred in many feature films as well, but Patrick has used his enormous platform to do so much good in the world, including opening the Dempsey Center, which is located in Maine, where he actually was born and raised, to make life better for people managing the impact of cancer. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Health Gig with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. Trisha and I had the opportunity to meet you a year ago at an event for the Dempsey Center. Tell us what is the Dempsey Center and how did it begin? It began through my own family's journey with my mother's diagnosis of ovarian cancer. She had over 12 reoccurrences for over 15 years, so it impacted our family in a profound way. I was beginning my work with Amgen Oncology with the Amgen Tour to California with the Breakaway from Cancer Initiative. And that was when I was certainly turned on to and aware of integrative medicine and complementary care for the first time. And I was like, well, this is really eye-opening and really important. And it makes so much sense in exactly what my mother needs. And that sort of started the conversation of opening a center. Is there anything like that in the community where I grew up that could help my mother and other people like her that were going through their cancer journey? And that's how it started. So we don't treat the disease. We treat the person in a holistic way complementing conventional approaches to it. So we work on the mind, the body, and the soul. That's our approach. It's very physical in that sense of, you know, we're in there with the person, which is making it really challenging for us now in the pivot to being virtual. The only programs we don't have online right now are the acupuncture and the Reiki, but we're working on the Reiki where you can do some care at home. So all of those things, I think, help a person emotionally and mentally in their cancer journey and their fight, and also the caregivers and all the family members, we take care of them. That gives them the emotional and the physical strength to do all the other procedures that they need to do. At the Dempsey Center, you pay such close attention to the support of the patient, understanding that the patient needs all kinds of care over and above maybe the traditional care. But what you also recognize and that you do so beautifully is you support the family and the caretakers that are walking side by side with that patient. We have our support groups are still going on, and I encourage people, if they are unaware of what the center is, to check it out. Go to the DempseyCenter.org and see if there are some services there that we can help you with. But for the caregivers, it's exhausting, and you need a place to recover and to be able to release your emotions, to be able to talk about your frustrations and the things that you're dealing with in a safe environment. And then that allows you to recharge and to go back and to help be supportive. So everybody needs support. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I think, in essence of how do we make your life better? 
That's the simple question. And you're going to tell us what you need from us. And here's our menu. So you're empowering everyone. I think this is really important. You want to feel empowered that you're in control of your own destiny. There are so many things out of our control. And certainly look at the world we're in right now. There's so many things that you have to surrender to the moment and go, okay, what are my best possible choices? What's really cool about the Dempsey Center is there's no cost involved. It's at absolutely no cost to anyone coming in the door, which is a beautiful thing. And we do that. We have tremendous local support from individuals and corporate donors and also the Dempsey Challenge, which is coming up here in a month or so. That allows us to keep the doors open and to provide services at no cost. And I think moving forward, this is going to be really vital. I think a lot of people are going to be hurting right now. And the services that we provide are essential. I'm very happy that we have made the transition. So a lot of our stuff is virtual. So people who are in remote areas who don't have the capability of traveling to one of our centers, we can at least reach them, which is good. These are the things that we're working on in the future. You know, how do we keep the doors open? We're strong. We have a good board. We have a good staff that has led us through this transition in a beautiful, clean way. And Patrick, this is for people who live in Maine. And what is your national vision? Well, certainly lead the national discussion and bring awareness to this. I think as soon as someone is diagnosed, the type of work that's being done at the center and other centers throughout the country, it should go hand in hand because you're waiting maybe two or three weeks for a result. And that's an important moment to work on the mindfulness, to work on your diet, to work on your exercise so that you're strong emotionally and physically going into this battle. And this is a time when we can go, look, Here's what you can control. This is out of your control. You're going to have to accept that. You're going to have to come to terms with it mentally. How do we give you the skills? How do we give you the tools that you want, that you innately know, which will make you feel better? To me, this is a no-brainer. It should be happening, which is a bigger discussion about healthcare in this country, right? We've got a big problem. We're going to have a lot of people hurting. How are we going to be able to take care of them? How are we going to prevent disease? And these are all things that can help do that. And also survivorship, we're dealing with people with survivorship. It's so complex, so deep, but so simple in what it is that we need to do. And that's the challenge. And that is our goal. How do we reach everyone who's been affected in the state of Maine? And then how do we spread the word and and connect and partner with other like-minded centers throughout the country? Because what makes it work is the local involvement in the communication with the people that are coming through the door and what our community needs from us. The idea then is to sort of build a network. So if I'm not in Maine, but I live in Texas, there might be another place there that I would be able to go to eventually. Right. So we would connect you so that there's a national hotline. Okay, where are you living? Okay, so here is a local facility next to you that is connected to your community. I think to create a national network that way is much more sustainable. And you understand what the dynamic is in your community. So our thing is really gathering the contacts and sharing that and building that out. We have a really good coalition in the state of Maine. We certainly have a lot of light on us, and we want to be able to have enough to be able to work with everybody in the state collaboratively. So you have to take the ego out of it and just go, what is our mission? How do we make people feel better? And always come from that space. So Patrick, tell us about the Dempsey Challenge, and how are you going to be doing it virtually? So we're doing it virtually this year. We're still working it out. There was a good meeting this morning with the steering committee. So we're doing it with Zwift, which is an online event. So we're doing the challenge virtually and we're getting great response from all around the world. And we will have a little bit of a physical presence 
we're still trying to work out how we can do that in a safe manner. So we'll keep everybody informed as we understand how we could proceed in a safe way. A lot of questions still there, but it's basically to keep people active. So we do a walk, a run, and a ride. And I don't like banquets. It's hard to sit in and do the fundraiser. So this was a great way to really promote healthy living because when we exercise, we know we feel better. For my mother, it was walking. She loved to walk. I mean, if you look at, you know, the transcendentalists and what they were talking about, it was all about walking, right? That's a wonderful moving meditation, very therapeutic. And when you do it collectively with a group, it's really fun. And this year it's going to be virtual. So we'll have people communicating and things like that. It's really to promote the sense of community and being active. It's our biggest fundraiser for the center. It allows us to keep our doors open and not have to charge anyone. And it's fun. It's great. It's going to be a new challenge this year, but we're doing it and we've had great support. And uh, I thank everyone so far. Our sponsors have pivoted and moved with us. So Tricia, tell them about our involvement with the challenge. Oh yeah, we were really excited. We entered the drawing that was on the website to win the Porsche. And we hope we get to win the Porsche and the $20,000 and lunch with you. So we were excited to do that. Encourage everybody else to do it too. Yes. So Maze has been amazing. And we've raised a tremendous amount of money that has allowed us to keep the doors open for this year through the Omaze program. It was the new Taycan, which is the all electric car. And we're now giving away a cabriolet. So that's helping us a lot. That money comes right to the center and allows us to keep the doors open in this challenging time. So we're grateful for that association and how well it's done. And it's fun. So thank you for supporting yeah. that. We very much hope to be driving a Porsche very soon. Or it was Cabrio. a young girl in uh, Long Island got it, actually. Oh, no. So then we'll definitely have to go for the cabriolet. The cab. That's, that's what we want. <laughs> that's what we'll go after. But tell us about people creating teams for the run and for the Dempsey Challenge. Yeah, sometimes you can create your team in memory of someone or you rally around someone who is fighting or in memory. Uh, that's how you create your team. And then you have parties throughout the week to kind of keep people engaged. And it's also it's a good way for people to be social. We're doing it in a way where we have good Zoom rooms, where we're building morale and giving people ideas and tools that they need. I invite you to check out the website. Patrick, the challenges of cancer are even greater during COVID-19, obviously. And so you've been a big advocate of wearing the mask. How important is it to wear the mask? And why do you think it is that people refuse to wear it? It seems like such a simple request. Yes. And I think we've lost so much of just following common sense and logic. And you follow the science. And I remember very early on, I was scrambling for information. And there was a frontline responder who was a doctor in Manhattan who said, here are the things you need to do to stay calm and you're going to be okay. Wear a mask, protect your eyes, and wash your hands. It was in a video that was taken on the fly, and that was consistent throughout. And the way he explained it, it was a sign of respect to him and every frontline responder and anybody who has a pre-existing condition. And that's how I look at it. It's a sign of respect to my fellow man, my fellow woman the person next to me, that I care enough about you because I'm not sure I have been tested. I'm making sure I am socially distancing and I am following what the professionals are telling me to do. And it's important that we do that. And people are scared and they're taking it on as a political statement, unfortunately. And we're seeing what's going to happen when you make that choice. The science is there. The data is there now to prove this. We have to come together, right? And I think the hardest challenge for me personally there's so much fear, so much anxiety, and so much unknown that you can act inappropriately and rudely just because you're amped up. And I see people are on edge. 
And if we can back off knowing that someone is struggling just as much as we are and approach them in a loving manner, this is what we need as a society coming forward because that's our cancer in society is how we're treating each other, right? We have to really come together now and give much more love, respect, and understanding. And that, I think, is much more important. And that's what the symbol of the mask represents to me and why we should follow it. Mm-hmm. Our love for each other and protecting each other. Right. And I think you get back into, you know, the, all the different religions. In the essence, I think it's all about love your neighbor, right? And we've really forgotten the essence of the teachings in all of the religions. And leadership needs to come forward and say, hey, here's where we're at. This is what we're about. Take a look in the mirror and address these issues that we have these systemic problems in our society. The sins of the father are visited upon us right now, and we need to really confront that and heal our nation. We are dealing with like sort of the madness of King George in our American history. And how do we come out of this? I think is really great hope in our society. I think the American people know what is right and what is wrong, and we'll speak up. And we have an election coming up, and people have that wonderful ability to get out and cast their vote. And we need to get people out there, no matter what party you're in, Exercise your vote and let's do it in a safe manner where it can be done in a way where everybody is feeling good about it and is empowered as a nation. We'd like to talk about meditation. How long have you been meditating? I started off around 17 or 18. I went to India. That's when I started to get into meditation. Of course, it's like anything. If you keep up with your practices, you show and feel the results and it's just being consistent with that. So through all the years, it's when it started, and I go back and forth depending on where I'm at and what's going on in the world. But yes, I try to have at least my morning meditation to set that tone to connect, and it's very tricky right now. I have a good book for you, though, if you would like, and I think this would be beneficial to a lot of people. I was in Rome last year shooting a new show called Devils, which will come out later this year on the CW, and I really went into the Stoics. I came upon this book through a wonderful app for people. I highly recommend it called Calm. It's an opportunity for you to use it to help guided meditation, things like that. And Ryan Holiday, the author of it, was leading these guided meditations about the daily stoic. How to use these teachings and these meditations in a practical daily way. And I tell you, this has been a real fun, pleasurable read that helps me reset and to look at the world in a way that's positive, not negative. So this is really good. This is what I've been reading lately, and it's been helping. And I hope it is of value to you. That's a fantastic suggestion. Yeah, I'm definitely ordering it today. It's really nice. And if you get it on tape and you're driving or you're going for a walk, it kind of helps get you focused for the day. Or you read a chapter in the morning, it sets you up with your coffee or tea. So your mindfulness practice or your meditation practice is obviously a big part of you. And it's something that you brought to the Dempsey Center because you were talking it's mind, body, and spirit. So is there a meditation and mindfulness component too at the Dempsey Center? Yes, there is. And that is very important. I think, how do you have the tools? Because a lot of our problems in our struggles is really, how do you stay positive? You know, the negative voices in our head, the dynamics that we grew up with, all of these things they're always there and you need the tools. It's like going to the gym. If you're using that muscle, you strengthen that muscle, you maintain that muscle. It's the same thing. And I think we have so many distractions with our technology. It's really hard to kind of pull yourself out of this and to be present. And certainly when it's compounded with a cancer diagnosis, you need those tools. 
I know you often talk about meditation, and I've heard you say the process is the product. Can you expand on that? I think this is true in general, like the process, how thoroughly you do the process, that's your end result. You know, and I think this helps with the stoicism too, is you're dealing with what is right there in front of you, not what you wanted, not what you imagined it to be, but the reality of what's in front of you and dealing with it in real time and not having this preconceived notion of how it should be. This is when I become unhappy because it's like, damn it, this is not how I wanted it to be. <laughs> it's it's so not going true. my way. And now that is conflict. And I think that's in good storytelling. What is the conflict? What gets in the way of the wants and how do you overcome it? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in life. And that was what I was talking about in that state. And I guess the whole idea of acceptance. I mean, when you're given a cancer diagnosis, there's all kinds of different things that go on in your mind. And I don't know how your mom was 17 years, you said, right? She lived for 17 years. My mom was a strong fighter. So she had Grit, which is another good book that's out right now is Grit too, which is another one. I wish I had the author's name off the top of my head, but it's about fighting, getting in there and overcoming. And you eventually will achieve your goal. It's all about that. You kind of have that. And again, it was fun researching you as a person and your commitment to sports and how you really were going to be an Olympian champion is what you really were setting out to do. Is that right? I wanted to be on the Olympic ski team, right? So that was my goal was to be on the U.S. ski team. And I am going to start doing some work with the U.S. ski team, which is a dream come true for me. I think there's a great opportunity there. And it's really exciting to develop the young racers. And it's all part of prevention and mental wellness is how active we have our kids. So how do we get them on the slopes? How do we get them on the bikes? How do we get them that opportunity? It really opens them up. For me, and certainly growing up in Maine, in a rural community, we have long winters. So you really have to embrace the cold and be outside. And for me, skiing was my wings. It allowed me the freedom to express myself. It gave me a sense of mastery, of individuality, and a personal challenge and goal. And I felt like I was flying. It's cut and dry. You win or you lose. It's a great lesson in life. And then you got to let it go. You have a good play or you don't. You got to let that play go and get on to the next one. So it's a wonderful metaphor for life and goes once again to the Stoics, right? You have this wonderful body that we're blessed with. Make the most of it in your youth. You know, exploit its capability to its fullest and express it through the joys of sport. And that's the crushing blow about not having the Olympics this year is the beauty of that. We so needed it as a society and hopefully going into the next year that it's even more of a celebration of that idea. I think you're right. When sports come back and the Olympics come back, we're going to appreciate everything so much more. Yeah, I think if we could show more gratitude and make that part of our thing, it's like, look how the earth came back so quickly after we shut down. Imagine if we just, out of respect to the planet, just said, you know what, everybody take a break and let's just connect for a moment. Let's let this recharge. Let's honor the planet and take a break. Let everybody come back and be with their families because the real beauty is we're with our families more than we want to be sometimes. And that's (laughs) a challenge in itself. But that's beautiful. We've lost that touch. You know, let's use all of our technology, all of these things. And really now we have a tremendous opportunity to really accelerate into the future in a beautiful way educating people from obsolete jobs and businesses that are gone, that are not going to come back, that are not sustainable. Give them hope and retrain them and educate them and give them a new direction. People need that. And we have this opportunity now to think outside the box if we come together and try to find our center, (laughs) right? Let's get away from the extremes and just land in the middle together and work on all of these issues, knowing that we're going to have to compromise. 
And through the compromise is great strength, immunity and intelligence. And that's the beautiful thing, I think. And these messages are being missed, unfortunately. So Patrick, clearly your awareness of the importance of breath work plays out in much of your life. What more can you tell us about that? I mean, the word breath now, breath is so loaded, right? When I hear the word breath right now, I can't breathe. I think back of the image of a man with a knee in the back of his neck asking for his mother when we hear breath. So, I mean, we all need to breathe. And unfortunately, this man is a symbol for that. We've stopped breathing. And when we stop breathing, we don't live anymore. That's true in so many ways. And I, I'm going off here, but I think the importance of breath, I mean, anytime I hear breath or take a breath, I immediately go to that image and I am moved and I am scared and I am I moved to action and consistency of what that is and why we have to keep this movement going. Is that, what are we doing to each other? You know, it's once again, it's the sins of the father. We have to deal with this issue in America, which is this deep, seated racism in our country and it comes from fear and misunderstanding and we've got to eliminate it and as a society i know we can there was a turning point in our nation because it was about taking a breath so to get back to your original question is breathing is key when i would get in the car i would say remember to breathe and when you breathe you immediately become present and you hear what's going on that's the key, and it's the hardest thing to remember is the focus on the breath when we're scared, when we're nervous, when we're overwhelmed, or even when we're excited and we're feeling so good about things. Remember to breathe. So loaded, loaded word. Yeah. Loaded word. Never forget to breathe. And what a gift it is. <laughs> yes. We have a gift of being in this physical form right now, mm -hmm. and we're all unique. Uh, it's sometimes hard to remember that with the media and the outside information of like, oh, that's how I should be. We have to remember that we're special and that we're here for a reason. What is our reason for being? And I think it's really, how do we make life better for people outside ourselves? And that's the challenge. How do we give up the selfishness and our own personal desires to work together? That's really the challenge for us as individuals and I think as a society moving forward. You've said that Grey's Anatomy was an amazing experience, but the great gift was the platform to do other great things. Absolutely. <laughs> the best gift ever. And I think moving into the center with the, the archetype of the McDreamy, Derek Shepard, <laughs> has really helped bring that attention. I'm very grateful to Shonda Rhimes and everybody from Grey's Anatomy for that platform. And also, how many people have gone into the medical profession I think they're going into year <laughs> 17. So people have gone into med school, have gone out and now are practicing in another group. So I'm very proud of that association and all of the, the wonderful actors that have been a part of the show. But we did read that your mom was more impressed with your race car driving. Is that true? My mother couldn't understand why I didn't do more theater. She <laughs> loved the theater. And of course, we would always take the bus from Lewiston down to Boston to look at the shows, the traveling shows together. So that's always a fond memory. So she really loved the fact that I was racing at Le Mans. And so you know, cool. she was always very supportive in my skiing. And she was very athletic herself and wanted to be outside all the time. So she was really excited <laughs> about my racing career. <laughs> she didn't like the bottom. How about juggling? You were a juggler. <laughs> yes. And a unicyclist. 
So unicycling started because of Inmarsh Denmark. Inmarsh Denmark was the, the greatest skier in the 1970s. He was my idol. That was who I wanted to be. And I remember watching ABC up close and personal, the sports thing before the Olympics, that he was in his dryland training riding a unicycle. And if he was doing that, I needed to do that. That's how I'd be a champion. <laughs> so I remember ordering from, I was selling seeds. You know, remember you go to door to door to sell yeah. seeds in Maine. And yes. I had enough money to order from a Sears and Roebuck catalog in the Christmas catalog. I went to the back and they had a unicycle. <laughs> and a friend of mine, Dennis Richardson, just found my unicycle, actually. So it was funny. And I learned how to ride the unicycle. And then I started performing because I was like the only kid in Buckfield, Maine, who was riding around with a unicycle. And <laughs> the, the shop teacher by the name of Paul McKinney, the power had gone out in shop class and he started juggling. And I was completely enamored by that. And I just wanted to learn. So he taught me and I picked it up right away. I went home and I started juggling and practicing. And then that became really my exit to New York and getting out of Maine and being uh, an actor was that moment. Wow. Yeah, that's when it all changed. I went from ski racer to juggler to performer. And now it's all full circle. It's all kind of come back around again. So I'm mixing it all back in. What do you spend most of your time doing right now? Daydreaming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For what you wish you could be doing. I think right now is because, you know, I'm so used to traveling and going anywhere. It's really sitting still and you start to identify what you need and what you don't need. I think really is keeping the kids active. My daughter's about to go away to college. This was her last summer at home. So we've just been at home and really enjoying each other's company. And then we'll see what happens. I'll be back in Maine for the fall, which is always good. She wanted to spend her last summer here before going off to school. And we'll see what happens with the fall. Tell us about the challenges of your children being home and schooling and all of that. I think it's keeping them optimistic. Everybody has their good days and their bad days. Keeping them physical. My son has a good football club, soccer, and they've done a really good job at social distancing and getting the kids active first on Zoom calls and practicing and training that way. And then now they're doing some actual physical training at a safe location, so that's good. And then my son is doing some Taekwondo, so the physical aspect of their day has been covered. And then we've been working on the mental with some of the disciplines of reading and writing. And then just time as a family, just chilling out. How much time do you spend in Maine? Maine, I'm usually back once a month before COVID. I'm COVID. back yeah. one week a month to oversee what's going on at the center and just to be back home. It's my place to reset. When I come over the bridge from Boston into Maine, we go from New Hampshire into Maine, I have a sudden lifting. I'm myself again in a strange way. I feel exactly the same way, but we miss you here because there's always Patrick Dempsey sightings <laughs> and people miss you this summer. They're like, hey, where's Patrick? It's been so hard and I'm getting updates. Everybody's sending me pictures and letting me know how nice and warm the water is and everything. It so, is. It's been uh, really warm. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So I'm good. It's very hard to be away. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Very hard. I know we mentioned earlier how much fun it was for Doro and me to be researching you beyond Grey's Anatomy. What really struck us is how you keep your ego in check and that it's a conscious decision on your part. You always seem aware of the people around you and that they are seen by you and making sure that they feel seen. Does your meditation play a part in that? So that came out of a conversation about when I was racing at Le Mans, the crowds are very big for racing. It's one of the bigger events. There was a lot of attention because of the history of Hollywood coming to the race with Paul Newman and McQueen and all of that legacy. So there was an excitement. 
and there's so many people that I had bodyguards that were pushing people out of the way and I could see people had waited for a long time and it hurt me that they were hurt and I felt like oh I'd let them down I remembered what that felt like and I couldn't function I couldn't focus on what I needed to do so I had to go back and deal with that person and say hey I'm sorry nice to meet you what's your name and that taught me a valuable lesson it's basically karma, right? Yeah. It's like right action is an immediate thing. If it's a negative action, you'll get a negative response. And that was something that affected me emotionally. And when I engaged, I was back in the moment and I was present. And then it allowed me to keep my situational awareness and my mental presence in the car because I was aware of my surroundings and I was emotionally in tune with what was happening to me. So it was all part of my ritual getting into the car. And once I was in the car, then I'm in my bubble, I'm protected and I'm safe. And then the muscle memory comes into play and instinct takes over. But I had to make sure that I stayed present and focused with each person I come in contact with. That takes us back to the breathing, yeah. to take a breath, to be present. And that person's giving you positive energy. You give it back and then it just builds as you go into the car. And that was really a great lesson. And I think that's what makes the challenge so amazing is there are all these little individual encounters with all these people that are profound when you put them together. You have this collage of memories and experiences and emotions that help inform you moving forward and keeps you grounded because I'm no different than you are. I'm just visible. And that's the thing to remember is we're all one person here. <laughs> yeah, we're all the same. We're all the same. Who has inspired you in your life? Who are your mentors? That's a great question. I mean, what's interesting when you have children, you think of your parents in a different way. You think of them in context to their family dynamics and what they overcame to get where they are today. You know, that comes up quite a bit, I think, for me. Your mom and your dad? Yeah, mm -hmm. mom and dad and memories and what they went through. And then how are you overcoming those for your children and giving mm -hmm. them the tools that they need? They're not carrying that family legacy. Yeah. And we all have our family dynamics. I mean, there's a wonderful thing on the Windsors, right? That CNN did this documentary. Yeah. Yes. And you look at the family dynamic <laughs> and how it's played itself out to today. It's fascinating. We all have our dynamics within our family that we're having to overcome right. and that you don't want to continue on. So these things are great. Sometimes you have a handle on it and then sometimes it's got a handle on you and you're trying to work through it. But you lost your dad when you were 17? My father was much older than my mother and he didn't take care of himself. He smoked. He didn't eat properly. He was that generation. Didn't take care of the house and they paid the price. He lived to be 71 years old. But I had just left home. I had a job in New York on Broadway and I couldn't make it back in time. And he was very ill. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I think about that a lot with my kids. You know, now I'm at this age and my daughter is at the age when I was on my own. So I want to be present, want to be healthy for them. I want to be able to keep up with them on the bike and on the skis, you know. Exactly. <laughs> because my father didn't. And that was something that I really missed. At that point in my life, I could have used his advice as a man in a way I would have been able to hear it. So I didn't have that transition with a father figure. But I did find it eventually. So I would say inspiration comes from my mother and my father, and good and bad, and what they overcame and what they didn't overcome that I need to overcome. So those are people for me. And I think the Stoics right now, I'm really getting a lot from them. You know, if I could go back and just sit and talk, that would be quite interesting. You know, Gandhi would be great. Wouldn't it be great to go back and just have a conversation? Especially right now, I think more than ever, nonviolence is key. That is undeniable power. True power is in nonviolence. I think there was the gentleman who was the ex-SEAL or the, the Marine who was being maced and sprayed and beaten. He didn't retaliate. He just took it and turned in the power 
that radiated from that image and from that man mm-hmm. and that strength, I mean, that shows you the power of being in right action and nonviolence is important. We're not seeing it in the media. The news is not, they want the salacious, they want the clickbait, unfortunately. With leadership, we have a great opportunity in this country right now because it's an election year. And I think that the platform going forward is how do we unite our country? First of all, we got to love each other. Let's remember that. What are our principles? What do we stand for? And then as individuals, we need to be accountable to ourselves at the end of the day. Am I living up to this? Not what other people are doing that are pushing my buttons and triggering me to act inappropriately. How do I get a handle on that? And it's not easy. I mean, this is the challenge for all of us. And that's why these practices and these ideas, no matter what you're, if you go to church or you pray, whatever those things are for you, that's great. That we have to go back to what's working for ourselves, Mm -hmm. I think. And then as a society, we can meet each other. There'd be space to meet each other. I think that's right. And and there's going to be a lot of opportunity, as you said at the beginning, to help other people. More than ever now, I think the people who have need to turn and go, what do I really need? Can I live with less? How do I help my neighbor? How do I help the person in need? That's in your area. If you just take care of your space, that will be enough. And if we were all taking care of all of our spaces, each space would be taken care of. One act of kindness a day, and then you keep building on that. Everything I'm saying is things that I'm working on. I have no, I'm not realizing (laughs) any of it. These are the things that I am struggling to try to do. Acts of kindness really make a difference. Well, I was going to say that it's obvious you've been influenced by the Daily Stoic, the Ryan Holiday book. You also mentioned Grit, and I think the author is Angela Duckworth. And she's got a great story, too. Her story is amazing, you know. What's her story? Well, she's a genius, right? And she came up in her childhood. There's a wonderful interview with her, I think. We saw it either on MSNBC or NPR last week about the book. That's how I was turned on to it. And then I got it. And her father was very hard on her about academics. And then she goes on to write this book and getting this grant. And an amazing journey of what you overcome. Grit. It's determination. If it's hard and you have to work for it, that's when you're really successful. You know, we want everything so easy. Right. And that gets back to, once again, the journey is the destination. That's what you look back at. You know what? The moment that was the most difficult is what you remember, not the easy. And where you have the possibility of growing. Right. In the time of COVID, everyone's watching Netflix or Hulu or Acorn. What are you watching? I'm really weird. So I watch a lot of documentaries. So that's what I'm into. And to be honest with you, I have not been watching a lot of television, which is interesting. A little bit too much news. And then I think the romantic comedy Palm Springs is really funny. It's really great. I recommend that as an escape. I haven't been watching much Netflix either. It just feels like the reading or just thinking or it just seems like an overwhelming kind of time right now, you know? Well, we have a lot going on here in the house and a lot of different energy and it's a good distraction. I mean, the day goes by so fast. Has it been difficult for you to stay grounded during COVID? You had mentioned earlier that you haven't been able to get to Maine. You're a guy that travels a lot. What is it like to have to just stay? At first, it was really nice because we were about to start up a new project. I had gone to D.C. to do some research. It was a show called Ways and Means. It's a political drama. And this was all right around the time of COVID really starting to be, the next day, everything was locked down. I was exhausted and stressed out. And I would say first month, I was just enjoying being at home and not going anywhere. And then you start to really go through a different movement of like, oh, no, this is bad. This is bad. This is not good. This is not getting under control. What are we going to do? How are we going to maintain? What's going on with the center making that pivot was good. But leadership really helped that tremendously. 
And then you're like, okay, what are we going to do? And then how do we protect ourselves? Just getting out the door. I remember putting on a mask and gloves and going to the market grocery shopping and the anxiety level. And then people not wearing masks, you're like, good God, what's happening? Overnight, the world had changed. And then we just started to accept it. And then we were spending more and more time making dinner and spending time together and really was wonderful. It was a beautiful period. And then, of course, people would fall off and kind of get depressed. And my daughter graduating, she missed all of that. The class of 2020, my heart just breaks. I know. didn't get a chance to do any of that. You forget what day it is and what, you know, right. it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard to keep discipline, you know. The Stoics are going to help us. Yes. <laughs> you know what? It's been helpful to me. I hope it helps you. Definitely. I appreciate you having me on and the ability to talk again and to connect. Well, good. And we hope people visit the Dempsey Center website and learn more about that. Yes, please do. We're there for you if you need us. And hopefully we can open our doors soon. The staff has done a fantastic job, the board as well. And please go to the website, check it out and let us know how we can help you. And register for the challenge too. It's going to be interesting <laughs> and it will be quite fun. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed talking to you. We'll see you in person soon. Thank you for joining us on HealthGig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.